0: Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold.
1: Our guest today is the Chief Operating Officer of Knight, McCastro McKay LLC. Dr. Dana Knight-Rays. Knight-Nicastro-McKay LLC is a litigation-focused law firm. From their regional offices in Colorado, Missouri, Montana, and Illinois, they've represented businesses including transportation entities, public employers, and insurers throughout the United States. For 24 months, Dana has assisted the board of managers in developing, planning, and executing the vision and business plan of the almost four-year-old law firm. Dana manages the administrative operations of the firm, including supervising all non-attorney personnel, managing the operation and information systems, overseeing the finance functions, assisting in the marketing of the legal services, and evaluating, managing, and supervising the facilities of this $20 million fast-paced law firm. Dana holds a doctorate in organizational development and leadership and brings diverse work experiences serving high-performing organizations as a professional development coach and organizational development consultant, primarily in the education world. Dana is also a mother of two boys and a sister of four brothers. So Dana, welcome to the Second and Command podcast.
0: Thank you. My pleasure.
1: So tell me your journey. How did you end up as the COO for a law firm? Because as we were kind of just getting started, you told me you're not a lawyer.
0: I am not. I am not from the legal background. I'm an educator, uh, 25 years in that business and have done everything from teaching school of my own classroom and I managed to get into administration second master's because I thought that was the only thing left to do in education was to be a principal. Decided I didn't want to be a principal, so I taught for a little longer. And then I created space for myself in um, the last school that I was in. To, I was at recess, and all of a sudden I realized it would be easier. We'd been looking for a special education teacher for uh, a couple years. And while I was watching, just becoming more and more sad and frustrated at the, the lack of being able to find someone who would fit the culture as well as have the skill set. And so, as I was at reset, and the leader came out and said, I think it would be easier to find a fourth grade teacher than it would be to find someone that has your skill set. Would you be interested in taking on the special education department in the elementary? Well, funny enough, I hadn't thought of it, but. Was interested. So, all I had to do was go take a test and ace the test. And then, next thing I know, I am leading the special education department. Fortunately, they let me go. Autonomy is really important to my success. And I decided to create a school within a school, not just be a special education teacher. So, I was actually able to try on the business side of education. And I did create a school within a school called. Center for Cognitive Diversity, and that came out of the passion and definitely a need that I saw in education to get away from stigma, to retrain the brain of teachers. Uh, the student is not the flexor, the teacher is the flexor. teacher needs to be the, pers- the teacher that the person in front of you needs to be, and so I developed that. That was super fun, so I got to do all of the organizational hiring, budget, all that, and I um, Then they asked me to extend that past the sixth grade and go into the middle school. Um, So I spent a year working on that for them and decided that I might not be the right person in that seat. So at first, I think I counted it as a, um, a failure. But what I realized is in that process, I got to exercise the observation skills of I've taken this as far as I can go. And oh my gosh, there's somebody on staff who can take it the next step. It's time for me to say goodbye. So I think probably that same week that I had that epiphany, my brother, one of my brothers and I do dinner once a month and we, work, we share our things and uh, what's going on. And Chad Knight is um, sharing with me the growth of the law firm. And that you know he just wants to practice law. That's what he's good at. And the three other guys on the board, the same thing. And they heard she. I think we're going to just need to hire somebody to do this admin stuff. And blah blah. blah. And then there was this awkward pause. And by the way, I just finished my my doctorate in organizational development. Love it. And we looked at each other and said, maybe do you think on the way home? I was like, are you serious? Do you really want to try this on? And he did say, yeah, I think you could really do this." And I said, well, I'm going to go through the interview process. I need to talk to the other guys on the board and did all that. And we decided collectively that it would be a good fit to that.
1: Interesting. All right. And what was the size of the law firm when you joined them?
0: about 25 employees, I would say uh, about 15 attorneys.
1: And what would the size be now?
0: We have 65 employees, 37 attorneys. Um, We were at the 5 million when I came on and now we're at the 20 million. Okay. Mm
1: -hmm. Has it been easy with your brother?
0: I will say yes. And that was one of the reasons why I did say yes is because uh, we are both very good at compartmentalizing, Mm. Uh, have those conversations, you know, if there is a difference of their own opinion or if, you know, a mistake is made or if we're going in the direction that was different than the other person thought, of course, we're going to have that conversation another time. And um, that. When it is family time, which is very important to all of us, it's family. At first, it was a little weird because we would talk yeah, about yeah. Uh, business. And then I started to get lost in the relationship myself. I said, so we're not talking about that right now. But I will tell you, I need to talk to you about blah, blah, blah And then we'll go on to family stuff. Um, but yeah, I guess it seeps in both sides. All
1: right. That's interesting. So you've, you've had the discussions and kept it kind of apart. Um, how has it been where, where, and I guess the trust is so strong between the two of you, that's probably a core because one of the core things that I've noticed with really good COOs is they have to have a really good core trust with that CEO team or, or um, in your case, like the, the managing board. Has it gotten in the way of working with the other three partners at all?
0: I don't think so. I do believe that and purposely kept it out in front. Let's just, the, there is no elephant in the room. I am Chad's sister. However, that's not who you're talking to when we're conducting business. Um, confidence is confidence. He doesn't get to know anything that's that I hold in confidence with an employees. Uh, dis- decisions, typically he pulls himself out of those that involve me or it's uh, compensation or any business decision that's put on my plate, that the board needs to discuss or vote on. Um, They're very good, they have their own meetings. I do attend um, all board meetings and and have a voice in that room. Um, You're right, there, there was an established trust with Chad and I, obviously, and
1: sounds like that's transferred over to the rest of the managing board then as well
0: i think because they have so much trust their relationship with each other is is really amazing to watch they are so diverse but they it just works it's just so Mm. really cool to watch um so i think by default yes i think i had their trust initially but i do know that they have articulated that i have earned it at this point so that makes me feel good too
1: yeah. That's interesting. That works out well. All right. So you've gotten into the legal space. You're, you've got your, your doctorate, you said in organizational behavior or organizational, what was Development. it? Mm-hmm. Development. Um, so what did you think you've brought with you from your education background into your COO role then?
0: That is so such a great question because so much um, there it's human behavior. So my educator comes out when we are trying to develop systems and protocols and policies. Um, I bring the human element to it, I uh, challenge them. And so did you actually say that to them or uh, did you give them the why? And that was that was a, an adventure to so get them to understand that people need the why and that's where you get the buy-in, right? They, they know the what and then we have to talk about the why. That's really where the, the rubber meets the road and then people follow follow one step if it's the right fit. So I, I have spent probably the second year really focused on combining the internal growth, attention to internal growth mm-hmm. with the external growth, which has been phenomenal. Um, so establishing growth and review process and making sure that the underscore board is the growth part. There should be no surprises in that meeting. We have one-on-ones every week or quarter, depending on the work group. Um, We have mentoring program now that wasn't there. We have a stellar onboarding program that wasn't there uh, with training and ongoing training, not just, here you go, best of luck to you. But very, the boards, it's very important the employee experience here, because that is what one of the difference makers I would say in the firm. So I think just being able to help them pause, And remember the human element of it sometimes in this firm and maybe it's in every firm I'm not sure um, but it's such a fast-paced and it's it's to get to the end product that sometimes we forget that we're dealing with humans in the interaction that it's not just a means to an end this this Mm. person that's helping me with this I'm going to try to use a legal term motion practice um, is is a teammate, is a team member. This doesn't happen without the legal system without the paralegal and the attorney and the communication piece. So that is really what I what I bring and the organization piece.
1: Well it's interesting because you're right. There's I don't think it is there in a lot of companies or in all companies for sure. I think it gets there once um, once that leadership team evolves to understand that it is more about the employees first and and if you build that that really, really strong relationship with the employees, they'll go through brick walls for you, right? I posted a video a couple of days ago on LinkedIn about that, just saying that anytime that a company feels it's about the customer first, the employees all of a sudden feel like they're second class and it really can kind of go in that wrong direction. So how do you slow them down to, to get them to consider the human element or the human impact?
0: Well, um. I think it's a lot of modeling. It's a lot of me telling them about conversations that I have with employees. I, I do a quarterly survey and it was difficult at first. One of the challenges was to get them to stop and actually um, understand that what I'm about to tell you is really valuable. Not that they didn't value me or the material, they just, they are so programmed to know or think about time is money. So if I have a thirty-minute meeting, instantly, it's how much that meeting costs. Yeah, it's billable. Yeah, per global hour, right? Um, so they've done such a great job realizing that uh, we slow down and pay attention to the human element, as we said. That actually the ROI is is measurable too. So
1: yeah. What's the age of them?
0: Hmm. Let's see. The oldest one I believe is. 51 and the
1: youngest, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to quote this correctly, but in his thirties. <laughs> okay. So, so they're, so they're Gen X, Gen X or, or yeah, Gen X really kind of very, very, very late of gen, or earliest Gen Y, but um, so they are more human centric and a little bit more inclusive than the baby boomers were. Did they still carry with them the ego that the the baby boomer lawyer generation had where it's kind of my way or the highway in the corner office. And, you know, you're just an, a, a paralegal or you're just a whatever, but I'm a lawyer. Like, is that still, or have they broken through that?
0: In a word? Yes. They've broken through that. When I first came, that was prevalent. And what's so funny about your question is that it impressed me so much in my interview that that was an actual question. Derek said, how do you handle big egos? To which I replied, you did remember that I'm Chad's sister and everybody laughed, but it is, it's real. And what I think I also bring to the table is an ability to read people, to assess situation, to understand communication styles and the ways that I need to uh, address the same issue, but with a different board member. And I feel I've been very successful with that. I set up meetings with them individually as well as collectively so that i can speak you know to where it matters for them
1: Um, yeah it's it's interesting it's it's an it's an interesting time we're in right now i've I've coached three different dental chains that are are quite large dental groups or or medium-sized dental groups i guess and um in all three cases i got the dentists to stop having the employees call them doctor so-and-so and just call them by their first name i mean look like we're not addressing any of our employees by Mr. or Ms. or Mrs. Like, so why are we addressing you with your title? Like, get over yourself. I'm glad you got your eight years of education. Suck it up. But like, it's actually hurting you. And as soon as they let go of the title, all of a sudden they started to have more of a connection with their employees. And, and it was no longer, you know, a me and trying to get them to do my stuff. It was more a we kind of situation. It was really interesting to watch. Mm -hmm. I'm curious whether that's happening in in the, it sounds like it is almost happening now in in the law firm.
0: Yes. It's an intentional effort because they love what they do. So it's head down pencil moving. Let's move this case, but I've asked them and they have done, they've come out of their office. Chad says, I keep my door open. As long as the door is open, you can come in at any time, but they had to see it, right? To believe it. And so he comes out of his office more and Derek's really good about, you know, meeting with the individual he's in Kansas city, our Kansas city office. And so he's been real intentional. Jim in Missoula is fabulous at connecting with, uh, employees. And then Anthony, those are the four member owners, um, is in Billings and just naturally he's HR ish, um, So he's joined alongside me. Actually, it was a new thing that happened at the end of last year as we decided that there needed to be a um, managing partner. And that has been a gift to me.
1: So I've, I've talked to lots of execs about, you know, a great salesperson can can go from one industry to another. It takes them a few months to learn the product or service or industry and, you know, their sales skills transfer over. So you clearly have the leadership skills and the executives, you know, competencies. How long did it take you to understand enough about your area of law or the area that you guys practice to, to not be sitting there going, I have no fucking idea what they're talking about? Like, <laughs> like you know what I mean? <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah,
0: I'm still. Well, I'll just be honest. I'm still not there. Listening to the podcast this morning on the way to work. Uh, you're interviewing a CEO in a, in a law firm that does data uh, collection, okay. um, and some of the jargon I was still enchanting this morning too. Some of the jargon I recognize, and I get the general gist of what they do there's an issue, they collect data, they do research, (laughs) medical records to summarize, you know, all the depositions and that type of thing. Um, But there, I do have a very solid line when we do our onboarding and I meet with the new employee, I say, so if it has to do with the law, the practice of law, the process of running a case, you go to your practice managers Mm. that they know. If you have a question about how we do things here, what the way is, you know, payroll, um, you know, situational, how you do your job on the business side. That's me.
1: That's, that's cool. It's interesting. It's very similar to how I coach. Cause I work with so many different organizations globally. I've, I've coached companies in 26 countries and I don't know anything about my clients industries. You know, I coach for, I coach a law firm right now. It's got about 400 lawyers called George sink law and their personal injury law firm in, in uh, South Carolina. I don't know anything about law. I mean, I studied it. I did did my undergraduate degree in law, so I understand enough. But I'm not a lawyer, right. and, and I don't understand the U.S. system. And but you don't need to because because there's so many other parts of the business that we need to focus on.
0: I absolutely know that to be true, and I I am in the process of saying that many times to attorneys because it's not readily.
1: That was my, that was going to be my question. So when did they come to that understanding? You and I get it. When did they get it?
0: Um, As is true, we have uh, different paces for people to get it. Uh, There are a, there is a big handful of attorneys now who engage in one-on-ones and coaching sessions with me. Um, Chad, that was really one of the big things that Chad wanted me to do when I came here. Um, Although I had some things to do before I could actually get to that. Uh, But the board gets it, which is great. The practice management gets it. And there are attorneys that come on board that have to get acclimated before they get it. But I do say it often. I do not need to know the practice of law to help you be a better lawyer or grow into the type of attorney that you want to be. I can help you get the vision out of your head and push you in the right direction hold a mirror in front of you ask you questions because I believe you have it in you it's just it's laying there somewhere in your brain and we need to figure out what you want as an attorney what your practice looks like in your head so that we can attach you to the resources that we have which is vast
1: within mm-hmm. the room. yeah yeah got it all right so what have you been working on recently then you, you kind of got in you're in your transition what's the next phase for you
0: Hmm. The next phase would be to continue. I've asked them kind of in jest, could we just wait six months before we onboard any new offices? Because that is very time consuming. But I really want to focus on that employee experience. There are more people coming on board doing the one-on-ones. Our our growth and review process is fantastic and showing ROI. Um, So I think the focus will be on, it's my, in my third year, right? So I'm going to solidify a lot of the practices that we've input. Uh, We've had, obviously from COVID, we have had to learn how to do the remote intentionally. We've always had a remote work policy at the Flex. So somebody needs to work because they have their washer and dryer broken or whatever they can do. We didn't have to really change anything um, in that. Everybody has their own PC and they can do their work from anywhere. Um, But just that bringing the internal connecting people, continuing to be intentional around communication, um, just continuing to help people understand the value of having conversations, bringing those trial teams together. That's one of the things that I'm going to really push is that initial meeting so that you eyeball to eyeball say, when this happens, this is what we're going to do. You're the one who's going to take on this part of the case and... If, this, if you can't get me, this is what I want you to do. So establishing those communication um, pathways and I want them to see how when they set things up in the beginning without assumptions of this is how we've always done it, that it's gonna really be more effective and you'll get further faster. And the appointing the, um, of Anthony to the managing partner, that's what I kept saying. We'll get further faster. We'll get further faster if we shorten that decision tree and cut off a few branches then we can get to where we need to go in a more efficient way.
1: And so. you talked about the leadership or, or some of this, um, the skills training that you're giving some of the team internally. What are you working with them on?
0: Generally, it is a pulling things out of their head. I'm wanting to know what their individual experiences are and give them a safe place. To say this, these things out loud, and it's like you know the coaching moment where they go, "Oh my gosh, I need to do blah blah blah," or "I need to really stop doing this." I ask them, "So what have you done so far to go towards this goal?" They'll realize I'm actually working hard, getting either there or I could be doing more in this direction. I need to let go of those distractions and just focus on this. So mostly, it is tell me about. What's it like for you to be in Knight McCastro McKay? And where do you see yourself plugging in past your job description? Because in the hiring, that's another thing that we've spent a lot of time working on is we want to hire people that have that growth mindset who want to learn and be the best, become the expert in the room. Right. So I don't necessarily.
1: Um, have to force it.
0: Yeah. The, I guess there's a balance of hiring someone who really um, loves being a legal assistant who just wants to grow and develop within that role and someone who wants to become a legal assistant so that they can then progress to a paralegal and sure. maybe they do want to go to law school I don't know
1: yep. Yeah, it's interesting. We we had that discussion at one of our COO Alliance events. We were talking about. I was saying that the a leader's core job is to grow people, and um, you know, always looking for opportunities to grow people. And one of the the COOs in the group put their hand up and said, "Wouldn't it be better if we actually hired growth oriented people who wanted to grow themselves?" I'm like, "Fuck yeah, that would be amazing!" Like, and it's it's interesting as a, as a behavioral trait to really look for, right? Because those are the, it's it's I guess it's kind of like the education system that the learner controls the environment, and if the learner's not ready to learn, it doesn't matter how good the team Teacher is you need to get them ready to learn. So, how do you look? What do you look for in the hiring process to find people that are, you know, growth minded or or wanting to grow their skills? I guess.
0: I I like to hear vision in people's explanation of where they've been and where they're going. Um, I particularly like to hear. For instance recently interviewing someone for the legal assistant role they were talking about how they were already in a paralegal program and that they weren't sure that that's where they wanted to go but that felt like something that would feed them and then i go okay feeding yourself that's really good Uh, because that's one of the questions that i ask people in my my coaching session so what are you doing right now feed yourself it's not really we want to provide the opportunity as as an organization of course for our employees to grow but it's not really just on us. So I want to hear right. what are you doing right now, and where can I kind of visualize you plugging in to uh, to move us forward.
1: Who's doing the interviews internally? Are the like, is it is it just HR doing them, or is it the the managing partners are doing their own interviews? Who's or does it depend?
0: Um, Adam is a, a member, a non-equity member in Missoula, who at another firm was a hiring partner. And so Zap, he seemed like the right person to grab. So he and I have created our hiring committee, how we are doing our protocol, that type of thing. So he and I lead that. We have a legal assistant who handles the administrative part of it, but we create at the front end, have a conversation about what are we really looking for with the member of that particular office? and help us understand to get a good idea. And then we create the team, go over what we're looking for with the team. We have, you know, a list of criteria and some of of the interviews, I actually assign certain questions to people because they would be the expert in that area and Mm -hmm. be able to follow up questions. I am never gonna be able to do that. (laughs) Well, I I don't really, I don't really want, I don't need to be in that space. There's plenty of people who can have that skill set. But then we have that afterward, you know, talk and have uh, a chat afterwards and talk about culture fit and skill set and did they have and do we need a writing sample and all that type of thing.
1: Do you train your team? Like, do you train the managers and the partners on how to do interviews? I will. What's your thought around that? How are you going to train them? I guess one of the core skills that it boggles my mind, I mean, I, I was part of a, a company called college pro painters where we had to go out and hire 8,000 people every year. So we trained our 800 franchisees on how to do interviews and onboarding because otherwise there was no way we were ever going to succeed, but it boggles my mind how, I don't know, 99% of companies have never trained their managers on how to do a job interview. And yet they hire people all the time. It, it's, it's scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah. And that's a definitely an observable need. In our yeah. process, and that'll be something I'll put on my list for this year. How we'll do it is, well, I think you know, some of the education is coming from plugging them into the process that we've created. of mm-hmm. It's not just kind of, I like you, and right, and you're a friend of mine, come on over. It's let's really find out who they are, ask the right questions, notice body language. Um, you know, talk the thing that I was surprised. And, not talking about what we want so that we're all on the same page. (laughs) And, uh, you know, during that interview. So so
1: you're, you're really starting then with the core of what exactly are we looking for in that candidate? What are their behavioral traits? What's their skills? And and then, then you're building your process on finding that. So as long as first, I guess, as long as everyone's on the same page of what you're looking for, that's at least better than saying, I like them.
0: Right. And then inviting part of the hiring team to be the actual mentor. Mm They need to be in the room. And, have you uh, have you
1: read the book, Who? I
0: have not.
1: By Jeff Smart. Take a look. His dad's actually from, I think, maybe even from Boulder. Uh, Jeff Smart, or Brad Smart wrote Top Grading. His son wrote Who, and it's more of an entrepreneurial version of some of the best interviewing and hiring systems that exist. It might be a really interesting one for you guys to look at because it, it lines up with exactly what your thoughts are in, in starting, kind of beginning with that end in mind, right, and working backwards. Mm-hmm. So, tell me about the um uh, what you brought with you, I guess, from the education system when you were kind of running a school within a school. what What have you brought with you in terms of those skills that you're utilizing today?
0: I would say that I think it's cynic, the Y circle, the golden circle. Yeah. I, I came to know about that, and I used that as I was developing the people that were, I was hiring to actually work with the children and really intentional about I cannot expect them to do something, know something, believe in something. If I'm not communicative about it, I realized I needed to share the vision of where we needed to go and just be really patient, which is not really readily available in my, in my makeup um so starting and just being really intentional about the communication where we're going to go why this is important why why we are even here how this might be different than you've done things in the past um and it worked mm. they, they loved it the feedback was oh my gosh i've never understood why we do this and now totally makes sense and that's again one of the strong strongest messages i feel like i am conveying in my role is we do a lot of things right. intuitively, which good, bad or ugly, but let's stop and find out why we're doing this and if it's the best way right now. A, a lot of conversation around when you first started and you had 12 employees, this was fine. Jack of trades. Everybody needed to do everything. Now you cannot do that. You have to have people designated to do these certain things. You have yeah. to tell it, which is a skill that's not often taught. Uh, which I'm working on right now. But I think what I brought over mostly is to really make sure that people understand where to plug in, why they're plugging in there, and to be really, um, speak plainly, just be real, sorry for the word, but elementary about how we're going to do things and why we're doing it. And always, I always want to hear if somebody thinks about a different way or we do it for a while this way, but now it's not quite working. If I don't notice first, I want somebody else to notice and and say, you know what great now, but it's not so great here. And this is why. So having those conversations.
1: Yeah. I love that. You're you're seeing that, that what got us here won't get us there. And Uh because we've always done it doesn't mean we always have to do it. Simon actually was on our board um, at 1-800-GOT-JUNK about five years before he wrote his book, The Start With Why. He, it was originally a cone shape. His golden circles, if you looked at them from the top down, were the three circles with the, the why, how, what. But if you looked at them from the side, it was a, a cone and it was the CEO at the top with the VPs, etc. I, yes. I flipped that the other way where I have the CEO at the bottom of the org chart supporting the VPs, supporting the managers, supporting the customers. And then everyone seeing that kind of vivid vision or the core purpose, etc. as well. But yeah, it's, it's critical that people understand why we do what we do and, and how they fit into it as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, the other thing you- that comes to mind is I had the opportunity on a small scale to do what I'm doing now. So mm-hmm. I was the visionary. I was the architect. I was the builder for the Center right. for Cognitive Diversity. Yeah. And and it kind of is not what I expected, but I got an opportunity here to do it at a much larger scale but I didn't anticipate that that's what I was going to get to do. And so <laughs> the answer to the question that you sometimes ask of what do you wish you had known when you first got here? And that is what I guess, I wish I would have realized cause I would have been more patient again with myself to try to really understand what is, what exists and what doesn't exist and where do I need to plug in initially mm. all the textbooks are, you know, you listen, you don't go in there and change a bunch of stuff, right. which is first what I did.
1: Mm -hmm. Who's, who's harder to lead children or adults?
0: Adults by far. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Why, what is it?
0: I really think that it's uh, aligned or misaligned expectations. I think that uh, when we are teaching or uh, working with adults, we have this whole bunch of assumptions and expectations that they, and I should and I keep telling my people, stop shooting on people. It's a whole bunch of shits. And when we have that attitude, we can come across very um, condescending. We get frustrated easily. We forget parts of a conversation that we should have with folks. And um, I think that it's just this, we forget to go I keep saying it, I know, but it's so pivotal. We forget the why when we're dealing with adults and understanding that we still have to assess that adult learners' mindset, disposition, personality, learning style, how they communicate. There's so many things that are already developed in an adult learner or an adult employee. Um, Their whys are very different.
1: Mm.
0: We gotta meet them where they are and that takes a little bit of paying attention.
1: So what do you think is going to change now for the organization? I mean, you've gone from from 2530 up to, you know, 65, so you've doubled in 2 years. You're probably going to double again. Are you um so there's that question. What do you think is going to be changing? And then what's it like working with these four offices and and the um they're kind of was that part of the intention or did it just evolve to that?
0: Working with the four members, do you mean?
1: No, and four cities, like having offices in four um, cities. Was that the intention originally?
0: Yes. And it still is. So I think another one of the difference makers for Nine and castro McKay is that it is a, clients are afforded that small firm attention and skill and expertise in a large firm where we have multiple resources. So if a client originally uh, needs representation in Colorado, let's just say, but like transportation and then they need representation in Missouri, that's a really easy transition for us. Um, We are regionally, I think we're going to go towards Seattle-ish in the next um, growth spurt, which I've asked them just to give me a little time, but anyway, it's likely not going to happen, I know that. Um, so yeah, I think it is intentional at the beginning. I think like a lot of startups, you just gather, right? And the growth is phenomenal. We just love, we're doing things right and things are going great. And they have an amazing intuition. They have done a lot of things, right? Just at the seat of their pants and it's really worked out. Um, but now at the size and with the growth, it's more intentional. So mm-hmm. I think they're more, maybe, and I'm speaking for them and I could be totally wrong, but it might be easier to say no now than it might have been in the past.
1: Okay, that's interesting. Now, what about the the whole, having to deal with COVID and the transitions to, um, how are you operating right now? Are they, are they working from offices or is it?
0: our Both of our Illinois, our Chicago and Peoria offices are still working remotely. It's a very different situation over there, particularly in Chicago. Um, we went home for, I think the rest of the firm Went home for about six weeks, and then we all returned. Um, there are some people because of school shutting down that have a hybrid work schedule. the The ask is simply communication. If we're we're not really uh, working with people next to us all the time, for instance, a trial team could have the attorney in Boulder, paralegal could be in Kansas City, and then the legal assistant is both. So uh, remote, I think we call it uh, attorneys without borders. And um, so that really set us up We nothing, nothing uh, really changed. That was kind of weird, that's survival guilt where I'm looking at and hearing about all the the hardship that everybody or that lots of people are going through. And we, it just didn't really happen. In fact, we, the opposite, we just kept growing. And um, again, I, I attribute that to a lot of the way the firm was originally set up, in the cloud, high tech, you know, communication, vi- video, and so we had a lot of, I guess, systems set up for that.
1: Well, I think it also speaks to the the um, maybe the age and the mindset of the five of you as well, which is a little bit more, you know, inclusive and a little bit less of the "it's my way or the highway" and. Um, because yeah, the right, the reality is right now, as long as the employees are doing their work and communicating with us, it really doesn't matter where they are. It, it, we used to think it did, but now it really doesn't. Will you go back to offices?
0: We are gonna try uh, in one of our offices to kind of do that hybrid where we have people have rotating schedules and just see how that feels and works out. There's no reason why it wouldn't work. And it does provide again, the flexibility for that particular office. There, at the point where we would be looking for a different office for size reasons and end of a lease. Uh, so we're gonna use that opportunity. When we we just recently moved our Boulder office from Pearl Street over here to Walnut, a couple blocks over, um, and the conversation had to be had. Do we really want a brick and mortar or is it time to try things on? And we just decided that right now in this phase that we wanted the in-office time to collaborate and to build culture and, uh, establish, you know, more of the Boulder office in the, uh, within the firm mm. and that's worked out really well. I love the office is beautiful and it's been super fun, but we are, it, it really is. It could go either way.
1: Is, is Pearl street. Sorry. I just had this weird. Flashback. Okay. Is, is Pearl street like about two blocks over from the main kind of shopping area of Boulder? Like the Pearl
0: Street is that main shopping. okay so, Yeah. So is, you have all the shops and the restaurants, and it's so cute.
1: Kimball Musk used to work for me. He owns the kitchen. Is that yeah. is that on Pearl Street?
0: It is right okay. on the corner.
1: That's yeah. why I, I was like, I just had this flashback. So I remember having lunch with him there when he first opened it, and that just kind of flashed into my head because his old office was near a parking garage two blocks away from there. Anyway, mm-hmm. completely random flashback. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All right, if you were to go back to your 21-year-old self and you had to give Dana some advice, what's the advice you'd give yourself?
0: Oh, my goodness. I um, feel like because I grew up as a military brat and that I my worldview is, is big, but I do, when I look back, I think... I didn't look past education when I was in in my main career. I loved what I did and I just didn't look past that. So I think I would say, listen to your voice the loudest. I I kind of looked to other people to guide me more than maybe I allowed myself to put my own voice in the room, so to speak. And then the other thing I would say is, um, I am a calculated risk taker. And I have been that forever. And I just, I guess I wish that I would be a little bit more, take a little bit more chances on myself, maybe. Same. Everything has worked out and I've enjoyed everything. I don't really have any regrets, but maybe, you know, going out to the karaoke bar would have been fun. <laughs> <laughs> I would have, you know, who knows?
1: Let the gypsy out to play a little bit more. That's right. All right. Dana, thanks very much. I love that. Listen to your own voice the loudest as well. That's a really cool thought there too. And I, I'm exactly the same. I need to let my little kid out to play a lot more as well. Dana yeah. Knight-Rays, thank you so much for sharing with us on the Second in Command podcast. Really appreciate all the time today.
0: You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.